everybody, I'm Rob Alley. And I'm Zeke Tucker, and we are the hosts of Cinema Snack Bar. It's the ultimate podcast for people who love movies and food. We're going to talk about the films we love and the foods that help inform them. Each week, we're going to watch a favorite movie, a bona fide classic, or an audience pick, and we're going to make or try a relevant food from that movie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Cinema Snack Bar and visit us online at cinemasnackbar.com. And most importantly, smash that subscribe button. Let's go, fam. No, I'm not Jake Paul. <laughs> Let's go, family. Episodes release bi-weekly starting March 7th. We'll see you guys then. Get your popcorn ready. Hey guys, uh, we want to do something special for you this season. This is JP. I'm Rob. There you go. We did a little backwards, but yeah. uh, we have over 200 episodes of goodness that we have, and we wanted to pick some of our favorites this season and spread them out bi-weekly to you guys. It's compilation time, baby. There we go. Greatest hits of the Great Song Podcast coming your way this season bi-weekly. It's going to be some of the funniest bits, some of our best our moments. Favorites. These are Rob and JP picks, and we're going alternating fashion. One of his favorites, one of my favorites, but we're not going to say who's is who's. Absolutely. And some of our audience favorite episodes um, and we're going to be bringing them to you throughout the season because listen, we know we're realistic about podcast listening. We know everybody doesn't catch every show, right? You lapse, you forget, and sometimes you miss stuff. And sometimes you miss stuff that's hilarious and awesome. And we have 11 seasons worth, so we've got plenty to comb through for you guys. That's right. I mean, if we were were like a normal artist, we would be on Greatest Hits Volume 12 by now. You know what I mean? So it's long past time for us to bring you some of the greatest hits of the Great Song Podcast. So this week, enjoy a Greatest Hits episode, and we'll see you back again next week with a brand new, fresh episode of the Great Song Podcast. Till then, I'm Rob. I'm JP. Go listen to this podcast. Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another Great Song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Seasons greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Allen. I am J.P. Mosier. And we're here to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great, why we think they're awesome, and why you should too. J.P., how you doing today, man? Man, I'm doing fantastic. We're talking about a song today that I'm so excited to talk about. It's going to make you smile. Universally beloved. Universally loved. I have a theory. I'm going to go and tell you what song we're doing because my fantastic and my theory ties into the song. So we're covering. Escape the Pina Colada song. Yes. So I heard a, a theory that I kind of tweaked a little bit. I don't know. Have you heard that the girl in this maybe had a crush on JFK? What? What? I, I'm going to tell you why. Okay. What? If you like Pina Coladas, JFK's drink of choice always had rum. Uh, okay. Bacardi, so like a light rum okay. goes in a pina colada. All okay, right. JFK, check. And getting caught in the rain. JFK was a Navy man who was a fan of sea spray, fond of water, okay. loved to be around water. Okay. JFK, if you're not into yoga, JFK had a terrible back. Okay. So yoga's out. He has like the worst back. And if you have half a brain. Oh. Oh. oh Dang. Isn't that dark, right? That got so dark. <laughs> dark quick, right? Dang it. Sorry. Anyway. Wow. But we're covering the Pina Colada song. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if I took that one a step oh, too far. Oh, man. Right out the gate. Right that was really gate. strange. We're blazing. But anyway. Wow. So actually, when I was doing the, when I was doing the research, I forgot the if you have half a brain line. So <laughs> I, I was doing these, and I wanted to end with four and then I thought you know if you like making love at midnight is how I'll end it I was just singing through it in my uh-huh, head but right. I JFK for- has maybe the reputation yeah, kind of I being a playboy the Mar- Marilyn Monroe thing yeah, yeah. I was like that's how I'm going to end this fantastic joke because in my head I had left out the and you have half a brain oh, line no. and I was like welp 
I'm kind of going to go for Okay, so so now I got to know, is this a theory that you just concocted for the sake of a joke? No, is this a real theory that's out there? No, like it's, I've heard that like it's written for different people. Okay. So, and then I just started trying to piece it together <laughs> and all this. And then, well, yeah. that was wild. That was fantastic. Yeah. I think we're going to find out a little bit later that that's probably not the case because we have an interview. Absolutely. With the man behind the song, writer, artist, genius. Brilliant. Rupert Holmes. Oh man, so much fun. In what immediately became maybe my favorite just pure interview that we've done in six seasons of this show. I think this might be my favorite interview. That's awesome. So, that's that's pretty high high standards I, there. I, I think it was just incredible. Well, you'll see when we get there. I just loved it so much. He was a brilliant guy, so funny, super smart, and 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 such a storyteller. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he just he just has everything ready and has it just anyway. His brain goes a million miles an hour, and I love it. Uh, but before we do all that, we're going to talk about it. And before we talk about it, we're going to listen to it. Let's play it. This is Escape, parentheses. You know I love parentheses, the Pina Colada song. <laughs> on headphones the wave just went across your head outstanding yeah come on there it is escape parentheses the pina colada song by rupert holmes from the 1979 album partners in crime it went number one on the billboard hot 100 number eight on the billboard adult contemporary chart number one canada uh, canada top singles and adult contemporary top 50 10 20 in a dozen other places uh it was number 11 for all of the year 1980 on the billboard hot 100 uh that sounds like a decent list to get into you want to hear it real quick uh Yes. The top 10 of the 1980 uh, Billboard. Do you want, should we? Never mind. Should we play the game first? Uh, you already know it now. You know I'll, some of no, the top I've, t- I've seen, but I've, it's, okay. it's out of my brain. Okay, so we pl- I, I came up with this game. I figured a lot of people may not be super familiar with who Rupert Holmes is. You yeah. know, the, everybody right. knows the, the name. song, right. the name. Yes. Everybody knows this song, um, but a lot of people might be like, I'm really not sure who does this song. Right. We even joke Especially with him about it. like our the, age and younger. Correct. So I figure... Rob's the genius in this equation. So Ta-da. I came up with this game called Stump the Genius. Stump the Genius. Stump the Genius. Stump the Genius. It's time to stump the genius. Jump up and take your part. I take your part. I picked 10 songs 
from the Billboard Hot 100 okay. from 1980 that I don't think Rob will know the artist okay. of. So now that some rules on but this But you game, do. But I do. You, you knew him. I, I, I can pick the one. There's a bunch on here that I didn't know. Terry DeSaro has a song called Yes, I'm Ready. Yep. Um, Pure Prairie League, Let okay. Me Love You Tonight. Okay. Charlie Dore, Pilot of the Airwaves. I didn't know, and actually I didn't know Charlie Dore was a girl. That's oh, okay. how must, much uh, I, Pure Prairie League, early Vince Gill. Vince oh. Gill's in Pure Prairie League. Well, there you go. Okay, yeah. see, Rob Genius. Going to kill this con. <laughs> so I was like, my goal is for Rob to get zero. Normally on these <laughs> games, I want, I secretly want Rob to do pretty well. Yeah. Like, I want him to show off his knowledge here and us to have a good time and maybe 50-50. My goal of these 10 is for him to get zero. Wow. So I put, I know he'll get more no than No pressure. That. It's early, man. Come and, on. And he's already looked at the list, so he has a little bit of a heads up. Okay. But, so. I, I've, seen, I've seen the top 10 only. Okay. Okay, well, there's two in the top ten, so I, he'll probably okay. get those. Okay, maybe. But maybe not. I don't know. And then, so I've got ten. You can uh, cheer for him at home, or you can cheer against him. That's it's, right. It's all good. And you can play Let along. me know. Hit, hit us up on the Facebook group, and let me know if when JP does a game. If you're like, go, Rob, or you're like, or I want to beat Rob. That's right. Cheering for me to fail. Facebook.com slash groups slash great I secretly want him to fun. do pretty well, but not, this one, I do not want him to do well. So here we go. All right. We're just going artist. Okay, these are all, all right. from 1980. We haven't done a sound check. Can you hear? Is that yeah. good? Wow. Is that Do That To Me One More Time? It is. Who sings it? I have no idea. Uh, Debbie Boone? No. Okay. Perfect. One. That is Captain and Tennille. Oh, yes. Oh, I right. just, 10 more seconds I would have thought Captain and Tennille. So, okay. We got one for JP, none for Rob out okay. the gates. Good All call, right. no one. Do it to me one more time. Do that okay. to me one more time. And I'll sing a little bit of it so that you know that I know it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here's the next one. Oh, that's Funky Town? Bye. Um... Oh, no. Uh, oh, gosh. Who is it? Oh. Dang it. I don't know. Lips Incorporated. Wow. I would have never known. Two. Okay. Totally this is off going my radar. as planned and hoped. <laughs> so we're doing great. Knowing the songs, not knowing the artists. Very, I think that's going to be the 1980s thing. Okay. okay. Here we go. You'll know the song. May not know the artist. Looks out the gate here. I, First line will be your Okay, chorus. I was going to say, I don't know if I know the song right you away. You will. I'll be working my way back to you. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I have no idea who this is. The Spinners. The Spinners. Okay, let me know how I've done so oh, far. Man. The Captain and Tennille song was number five on the Billboard okay. Hot 100. Okay. The Funky Town was number eight. The Spinners, number 14, and Rob is 0 for 3 as hoped. Wow. So, um, maybe a little anticlimactic, but it's fun for me. <laughs> Longer than oh. Been oh, wow. In the ocean. Higher than What's the chorus? This is the part you'll know. Okay, okay. The, the song's called Longer. Longer is it like Dan Fogelberg? It's, oh, my God! Oh. What in the yes. world? Rob, ding, 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 ding. Yes. I didn't bring the bell. Okay, Rob oh, got wow. one. Very good. Okay. Very good. Similar vibe here. I'll tell you the name of this song. This song's okay. called Cool Change. Cool Change? Yep. Number 56 this year. Wow. That was uh, that was my nickname in high school when I <laughs> cut my mullet. It's, missing. <laughs> it's the time that I spend alone. Uh, this it's okay. doesn't it's sound familiar at all. Little River Band. That's okay. Little, okay, yeah. Okay. Nope, I'm no going to jump ahead on this next one to minute 105. I catch the moon in my head. Again, one I think you'll... Don't you know who I am? Remember my name. 
fame. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna live forever. But I always thought this was just like the cast of fame. No, it's a famous artist. It's who I'll reference in the Meet the Band section. I'm gonna say Jennifer. <laughs> Irene Cara. Okay. Who? Irene Cara. Okay. I can actually. You know what? I was gonna talk about her in the Meet the Band section. She's but not related to Alessia Cara, is she? I don't think so. But I'll play her other song that I think you'll know, which we'll talk about. Here. Oh yeah. yeah. Flash dance. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Irene Cara. Huh? Yeah. I did not know her. What a feeling. I don't know if I've ever heard that name. She had two huge movie hits, Fame and What a Feeling. Wow. So, okay, you just grow up knowing these songs. Exactly, but you may not know the artist. But your, your dad never sits you down and goes, son. Um, let me tell you about Rupert Holmes. Exactly. Yeah. This is, yeah. Okay, here we go. Moving along. Oh, man, this one's brutal. Where you'll know the song, but this is a horrible version of the song. I'm sorry, it's terrible. There's no way you'll get this, but you'll know the song. If you know this, I'm ashamed of you. This song, <laughs> this is a terrible top 100. For those of y'all that know the original, this is a non-original. When the night has come, is this? And the land. Obviously, it, you know the song. Stand by me. Sure, it's stand by me. Yeah. And the moon. I want to say it's. Either Waylon Jennings or Merle Haggard? It sounds like them, but it's not. It's a guy named Mickey Gilly. Mickey Gilly. Oh, okay. I at least know his name. Okay. I know, uh, yeah, he was a country guy in the 80s. Okay. Okay. Cool. So, on we go. Mickey Gilly. I do love this song. I can see. I, I know Mickey Gilly's face. I, I do weird. like this song a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Billy Joe Royal? No. No, shoot. Hold on. Oh, this is I'm Driving My <laughs> Life Away. It is. Uh, this is the original Ain't Going Down to the Sun Comes Up concept, right? But it's not Billy Joe Royal. It's not. It's somebody like, is it somebody with three names? It is not. Dang it. Oh, crap. Who sang, who sang I'm No Stranger to the Rain? Is it the same guy? Uh, who is it? Eddie Rabbit. Eddie Rabbit. <laughs> Dang it. Dang it. Okay. Here we go. Man. Rob has gotten one. He got Dan Fogelberg, who's, if you'd have picked this list, I wouldn't have thought he would have gotten the Dan Fogelberg. Dang it. All righty. I'm going to jump ahead about a minute in this. Number 85 was the Eddie Rabbit song. This is number 86. So you, think you know this song? Take the Long Way Home. Bang a in the picture show. You oh. take the long way home. Very vaguely. Okay. Take the long but no okay. idea who Super it is. Super Tramp. Who does that? So, oh, really? Okay. Okay. Wow. Last one. I'm going to tell a little story on this. Well, I'll play a little bit. I'll kind of talk over it. Okay. I love this song. Oh. Like, this song is wonderful. Dang it. So, this artist, um, I was I was like, I wonder, like, what he's up to. So, I just started doing homework. Shot him an email, not to even necessarily have him on the show. Just to be like, hey, I've been doing this. I grew up on, on your music. Whatever, and he's so we interact a little bit, uh -huh. not much through his mate. It's probably his people. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I'll let you hear a little bit. She's just years old. Dang, that's smooth. I love this song. They oh man, it's got to get to the chorus. Oh yeah. You know, I think when I was a kid, I would have told you this was Steve Perry. Okay. It sounds like right? it, right? It, like, it sounds like, now I go, probably not a white guy, uh -huh. I think. It's, uh, no. 
Who is it? It's, his name's Benny Mardonis. Benny Mardonis. Oh. Uh, so, anyway, no clue. Never no clue. So, I love this song. So, I'll start. Anyway, I guess I can play it in a little background. Uh, it's kind of, man, it seems like I'm in all these on downers. He actually passed away a week or so ago. Oh. Um, but his people emailed me and was like, hey, I just wanted to let you know. Uh, and that he really enjoyed communicating and talking about this. So, I missed my oh, chance. Wow. I missed our chance to even have him on the show. But, man. Benny, thanks for what you do. Good stuff. Jeez. For what you did. In memoriam. in memoriam. Benny Cardona. So, this is uh, actually wow. the song that made me want to do this game. I was yeah, like, oh, it's like, like who Rob, would ever know I love that? this song, but Rob's not going to know who he is. Yeah. And I was like, hmm. And then tie it back into Rupert. Wow. So, there you go. So fun game. Rob got one. I got one. Got you know what? One. I'm proud How of it. How did you guys do at home? Let us know. Yeah, let us that, know if y'all knew any of those. That was a mean game. Try to stump uh, Try to stump the genius. All the, so. all the Benny Cardona fans at home going, you idiot. Everybody knows that. How could you not know? Um, so yeah, 1980. Yeah, okay. So, so back to back to the the subject at hand. We took the long way around it, but I don't mind it cuz I love a good game. Um so the Pina Colada song was not only number 1 on the Billboard Hot 100 uh in in both 1979 and 1980. So it it was it was a number one song in consecutive decades. Only one to be back to back. That's right. 79 and 80. In and in the same Release like it wasn't uh-huh. a re- you know what I'm saying there are songs that have gone number one and then in the it, next decade for some reason they in a movie came back up in the chart or something, yeah yeah so it but this in one consecutive release was was number one in two different decades it, December and January yeah is how it which is over. wild so that's awesome so but not only was it number one there but it was number eleven for the entire year. Right, so uh, on the Billboard chart, it was number eleven, which is where we played the game from. That's the same list that I pulled the game from. Right, so right, your right. List will have so was that from the same year? Same year. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, from eighty. Okay, that so, was all from nineteen eighty. That wow. was the nineteen eighty game. Is why okay. I was like nineteen eighty is the year that a lot of people know the songs. I got but very few people may know a lot of these artists. I got so you. yeah, that was all from nineteen eighty. Okay, I thought maybe you were saying they had been in the top one hundred in nineteen eighty. No, that was this, from the, this okay. list that you're about to read the top you. ten on, I bet Captain Anthony will be okay. number five. They are and number five. Funky Town will be number eight. Funky Town. That's right. By Lip Sync. Yes. So he's okay. Seen so this list. number ten is the Rose by Met- Bette Midler. Pass. Uh, number nine. It's still Rock and Roll to Me by <laughs> Billy Joel. Number eight. Funky Town by Lip Sync. Number seven. Coming Up by Paul McCartney. Number six. Crazy Little Thing Called Love by Queen. Number five. Do That to Me One More Time by Captain and Tennille. Number four. Rock with You by Michael Jackson. What a song, dude. Yeah, that no, right. to this day is one of my favorite Michael Jackson songs. Number three. Magic by Olivia Newton John. What? Do you know that song? The only magic I know is not hers. Yeah. Um, I listened through it because I thought about putting it in the game uh-huh. and I, yeah, I wouldn't have got that either but you would have gotten her I don't what? think I would have got uh, maybe because she sounds maybe. like I mean, okay mm-hmm. uh, number two was another brick in the wall part two by Pink Floyd and yeah, I don't think of that song as being a number two for a whole year yeah I f- but I, because but I guess I, I don't know I think of Pink Floyd being a little less mainstream than that mm-hmm. you know what I mean but we I think we're cool because we listen to Pink Floyd like right. not everybody listened <laughs> to Pink Floyd <laughs> right. in 1980 well everybody freaking did. everybody everybody did yeah. we're like man let me let me tell you about this it's called Pink Floyd yeah <laughs> but no we're everybody <laughs> uh, and then the number one song of 1980 was Call Me by Blondie. I know. I didn't, oh, I didn't man, realize I love that, that song, was that man. big. Uh, we played that song in high school in marching band. So did Muse. <laughs> Trumpets and all of it. It was great. It was weird. I marched on snare. All right. Um, <laughs> so Escape, the Pina Colada song, was also number 357 on the Billboard all-time 600. Yay! Yay! Between <laughs> number 358, Will It Go Round in Circles by Billy Preston, and number 356, Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now by Starship, oh, a song that man. we also both That's love. Right. 
it was, as I said, the final Billboard number one of 1979 and the decade of the 1970s. And after one week of interruption by Casey and the Sunshine Band's Please Don't Go, it climbed back up to number one in the second week of 1980. That's awesome. Becoming the first and only song to go number one in two different decades in its same release. Um a few notes about this song, and then and then we're going to get right into this interview because Rupert was generous with his time, and it was a, a really engaging storyteller. And I want to give that its proper time. Sure. You know what I mean? And I'll do a quick meet the band the section, episode. and Absolutely. then we'll end with Rupert. Yeah. yeah. Uh, quick notes on this song: it single-handedly popular popularized the pina colada in the United States. Really? The At drink. the time, it was a it was a more difficult drink to find, and this single-handedly made it like widespread That's available awesome. in the U.S. So That's cool. if you like pina coladas, you. <laughs> You can thank Rupert Holmes. You know what I'm saying? Um, the album that it came from, 1979's Partners in Crime, hit number 33 on the Billboard album charts and was the number 55 album for all of 1980, according to Billboard. Had three top 40 hits for Rupert. Had Escape, uh, Him, I think, which is your favorite song that's off the a, album. That's my favorite song. And Answering Machine, which is maybe my favorite song off the Let's album. Let's play a little bit of our favorites just so that okay. they can hear them real quick. We don't have to play long. Just maybe play a hook. All right. Here's a little bit of Him by Rupert Holmes. I'm not blind. And uh, so I think my personal favorite on the album is probably Answering Machine. But here's the deal with it. I'm not going to play it because I don't want to spoil it. Okay. It has a – it has a – in the same the, way that Escape has kind of the, a plot twist. The, at the end, yeah. it gets you. That's good. That's so good. I, I, I don't want to spoil Answering Machine, but listen to Answering Machine off, off of uh, the album Partners in Crime and just let it surprise you. It's great. One thing I really love about Rupert's writing is – is that uh, it's all very sort of kind of like cheeky. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Cheek. It's yeah. a lot of it has, uh, a lot of it is like hiding a smile. Uh-huh. Uh, and I really love that quality about it. You know what I mean? It's very sort of um, curious and quirky and funny. And, you know, obviously some of it's serious and deals with heavy He really stuff. is the smartest guy in the room. He like, is. For those of y'all that haven't seen, I'll tie this back in. Go watch the video of the Pina Colada song, first of all. It's <laughs> hilarious with the stage. But he looks like the professor from Money Heist. So I know, right. Robert, but y'all go watch Money Heist. It's a good little series. He looks just like him, and he is the professor. He's the smartest guy. He's it's a, it's a brilliant guy. That's fantastic. So why don't we do this? Let's meet the band, and then we're going to actually meet Rupert Holmes. I love it. Let's do it. Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. Hey! All right, we're going to meet the band that played on Escape, the Pina Colada song, um, and on the Partners of Crime album um, with Rupert Holmes. On guitar, Dave, uh, Dean Balin. Also did stuff with Curtis Blow. I love the song Basketball. I know I talked to okay. Rob. I don't yeah. know if Robin, we're playing basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that song. <laughs> um, and he wrote for Gilda Radner. Okay. Um, so there you go. Interesting. Dean Balin on guitar. On bass, Frank Gravis did a lot of stuff with Herbie Mann, Suzanne Vega. Um, he's credited for playing on Live and Sleazy for the Vi- Village People. I can't verify that, but okay. that's one of their big ones. So he's credited, but I couldn't verify that. So that's a 
a maybe. Um, on drums, and this is where it gets fun because there's two drummers, yeah. and we'll talk with Rupert about that. But great we'll, story. Oh, man, And great if I story. understand, I don't know if he was just blowing smoke or if he was being serious. There's a little never-revealed tidbit about that story that he, that he says he's never mentioned he's before. Never, yeah, so. so and I don't know. Teaser, he may say that, and he may the, tell everybody. He was such a nice guy and so good at telling stories. It makes me feel like, I, like I guarantee you, he's done this same interview to like 95%. He's done it 500 times uh-huh. in his career. So he could have everything just so perfect. You know what I mean? The way he's, the way his brain works, it would not shock me if it, like every, you know, interview he does, he's like, let me tell you a little something I've never told before. Yeah, I know. But just to draw you in. And right? you know, he's already but, thought three steps ahead of us. Yeah. So wherever we're going, he always knows how to, how he's going to get there. Uh, yeah, and he, he knows the punchline. Exactly. We're everything. playing checkers uh-huh. and he's playing chess. That's right. Yeah. That's good. I love that. That's good. Um, we'll just say drummer number one, Leo Adamian. Um, actually, the drummer on What a Feeling, the Irene Cara okay. song. Oh, so wow. I was going to reference that. I'd already that, forgotten her name. But that's all good. <laughs> Jennifer, what's her name? Um, he actually plays percussion on that song. But okay. hey, same, same, uh, sure. same, genre, same, uh, same credits. Field. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Steve Jordan, the other drummer. Oh, my goodness. One of our Steve, favorites. One of our favorites. He's been with everybody from Bruce Springsteen, B.B. King, most recently, notably, with uh, John Mayer yeah. as part of the John Mayer trio, and he plays with, with John Mayer now, Legend. Steve Jordan. Um, great story. I can't wait till y'all hear that story. Horn section. Um, I'm going to just say Peter Gordon, David Taylor, um, but there's one guy in the horn section that I got to mention that plays trombone. His name is Wayne Andre. He's a legend. Did stuff with George Benson, Gloria Gaynor, Jacob Pastorius, Quincy Jones. He's on the Quincy Jones album. Um, his one big album that he did of himself. Yeah. Um, and then on vocals, keys, synth, and sax, David Goldstein, better known as Rupert Holmes. Yeah. So uh, let's get straight Man. into Here's it. Here's a little bit about him, and then we're going to yeah. meet him. Uh, he went, This is how, okay, first of all, this is cool. He's a dual U.S. slash British citizen. We'll talk to him about that. Uh, winner of Tony, Emmy, and Edgar Awards, among tons of others for his varied work. He's a winner of the ASCAP George M. Cohen Award for the depth of creative cheer, a career achievement. For some context on that award, uh, George Cohen is the guy who wrote, he wrote over 50 plays and shows uh, and songs, including everything from I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy to Give My Regards to Broadway to Over There, the World War One anthem, you know, over here, over no, there, right? Yeah. Over there. So for which he was awarded, uh, George Cohen was awarded a Congressional Medal of Honor in 1940. Like, such an important song. Can I... Stop for just a second. Sure. The Over There song, have you heard the remake? I don't know if it's real or if it's somebody in my childhood made it up. Have you heard Underwear? They oh, do no. Underwear, under, how I itch in my woolly underwear. <laughs> no. How I wish no. I'd gotten a pair of cotton so I wouldn't itch everywhere. Is that not a popular one? Or is this some BVDs, they make me sneeze <laughs> when the breeze from the trees hit my knees. Um, anyway, I, if you know if that's a real... Thing or just wow. something somebody from Athens, Tennessee made up. I mean, how real would it have to be for you to consider it real? Like, I don't well, think it charted on Billboard. Well, no, but I don't like, think, is that I don't something think that didn't got... leave my small circle of friends? Is that something that, like, <laughs> somebody's parent made up one night? Right. Or something, somebody something that we Athens. would do? Yeah. And I just have kept it in my head forever? Right. I don't know, but I'm going to say that one probably did not win a George M. Cohen Award. <laughs> or an... <laughs> Yeah, or yes, no Emmys, Edgars, or Tonys for that one. That's right. Go ahead. So anyway, I just want to emphasize, like that award in particular, it's not given annually. In fact, it's only been awarded four times since its inception in 2013. Wow. And and Rupert is one of those honorees. Did you have the other three by any um, chance? You know what? We don't have time right now to cover the other recipients, but look up Valerie Simpson, Joel Gray, and Martin Sharnin, C-H-A-R-N-I-N. Really fascinating people and, and very, very, very accomplished 
Um, so look up Valerie Simpson, Joel Gray, and Martin Charnin, the other um, three recipients of the George M. Cohen Award. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, Rupert has done everything. Everything you can do as a writer of any sort, he's done. He's done novels, Broadway shows, TV series, and done it all extremely well. Uh, the concept of his Broadway show, which we're going to get into a little bit in the interview, uh, The Mystery of Edwin Drood, is astonishingly cool. Um, he wrote the novel Where the Truth Lies, which became a movie with Kevin Bacon and Colin Firth. He had a hit TV series in the 90s called Remember When about a, a, a Pittsburgh uh, radio station in the World War II area, era, uh, like the, the, the golden age of radio. Um, and um, and it, he's just done all these things and at a super high level, and he's respected across the board in every field that he has like attempted to, you know, to break into. And he's one of Rob's favorite interviews, so there yeah. you go. So I, I can't wait for you guys to hear this. Please let us know what you think. Uh, hit us up on our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Great Song Pod. Uh, or you can hit us up at Twitter and Instagram at Great Song Pod. Uh, and tell us what you think about the interview with Rupert. See if you guys are as fascinated as as we were. Because uh, I'll be honest, when we started, you know, you think, oh, it's the Pina Colada song, right? Which is, I'm sure what everybody does. You go, oh, the Pina Colada song. It's kitschy and it's, you know, whatever. And then you start digging into this guy and you find out he's like, Thomas Edison of yeah. <laughs> uh, of creative That's writing, good. you know what I'm saying? That. So uh, anyway, just a brilliant guy. I hope you enjoy the interview. Uh, let's take it now. This is Rupert Holmes. This is the Great Song Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we have with us on the other end of the line, Rupert Holmes, writer and performer of Escape, uh, parentheses, the Pina Colada song. Rupert, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be with you. Outstanding. Uh, first thing I was interested in, in doing some research on you is that you were born in England, uh, and you moved to the States with your family, uh, as a young boy and that you're a dual citizen now. Um, I'm curious what parts of your sort of foundational time in England, is there any of that that you sort of still carry with you? Yeah, I think to some degree there is. The, the first thing I should make clear is that, um, my father was an American GI who was stationed in England during World War II and he stayed on. After the war, he fell in love with my mother, married her, and therefore I was born. And the moment I was born, because I was born in England, um, I was a British citizen, but sure. because I was the son of a, an American serviceman, I was automatically also an American citizen. So I've, I've had dual citizenship all my life. I see. I, oh, I came to the United States when I was three, but I actually do have some memories of England. Um, and, and they're usually, they're mainly sensory memories. I remember the town I grew up in, uh, Northwich, which was a, uh, an, uh, a, a chemical factory town and, uh, the air smelled of soot and wood burning fireplaces and coal. And, and, it, and, and by the way, to me, it, it was a wonderful, uh, scent. And I remember the fish market. I remember Guy Fawkes Day, which is their equivalent of uh, July 4th, you know? Yeah. So I, I must have been taken with the firecrackers and the bonfire. And um, and I remember going on my uh, double-decker bus for the first time. And That's awesome. Kind of being being confused because the seats were, were – in England, the seats on the bus were cloth. And so I thought I was in a sofa <laughs> – and the lighting was nice. To, uh, 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 the lighting was sort of amber and warm. And I thought, well, how is it that I've gone from the cold November night and now I'm in a house, but the house is moving. <laughs> uh, so that this, uh, but uh, also very importantly uh, was the fact that when I was three at Christmas, uh, my mother took me to see a particular kind of British entertainment, which is called a Christmas panto, short for pantomime. And I saw a show that. Um, 
sort of influenced me in writing my first Broadway musical, which was The Mystery of Edwin Drood, also set in England. So that had a huge effect on me. But mainly the fact that my mother, when as I grew up, at three, my parents said to me, we're going to move to a place called Long Island. <laughs> and I, I pictured, you know, palm trees and pirates. <laughs> and it, it turned out to be, you know, a suburb of New York. Yeah. And the first words that were said to me, I must have had a slight British accent at that time. I was three. And the first words that were said to me were, get off my property. Get off my property. <laughs> so my English accent went the way of all flesh in about two days, you know. <laughs> but I always grew up having a kind of second allegiance to creative things from England. My mother uh, certainly uh, exposed me to a lot of uh, British songwriters like Noel Coward and English movies and English actors. And I was kind of thought that made me different. And in the summer, and guys, you have to try to, you have to kind of live in this moment with me if you can. We'll do it. Uh, summer of 1963. And I was over in England visiting some of my relatives. We weren't wealthy, but um, we could just scrape together tourist class on a ship, and we stayed with my family. And I got to wander London on my own, age 16, for like three weeks, and things were cheap, and I got to see a lot of plays. And there was this band I heard, and I first heard them in Paris, um, and I thought they were the Everly Brothers, because they were singing these kind of open fourth, open third harmonies. And I thought they were some of the best records I'd ever heard the Everly Brothers make. And one of them was called From Me to You. Oh, my God. And uh, another was called Thank You, Girl. (laughs) And uh, when I got to London, uh, one of my relatives had a daughter who had a record by this group. And they were called the Beatles. And they spelled their name incorrectly. (laughs) And I got to see Top of the Pops the day they debuted their brand new single called she loves you. That's awesome. Oh, man. And I was like, I was a classical musician at that time. I was training to be a, basically play in an orchestra. And um, I had a very musical upbringing from my father, who was a music teacher. And I, I didn't know a lot of rock and roll, but it was like something nailed me to the wall when I heard that record. <laughs> and I thought, I'm not going to get a haircut. I'm an American in London, and I've got advance notice. This is going to take over the world. That's awesome. I'm gonna, and they've got that hair, and I'm not. When I get back to the states, I'm not getting a haircut because that's the way the world is going to go. And when the Beatles came over in the English invasion, I felt so cool because I was two months ahead of the curve. I knew what was coming, and I kept abreast of it. I had been listening to the records that got released on all these odd labels like swan and bj and tolly i think and and so the beatles invasion was for me something i felt personally connected to and changed the course of my life because of that by the time i was 16 and a half all i wanted to do was to be in a band and write songs (laughs) for my band sure so so that so i'd say being born in england had quite an effect on me it really did I imagine so. Yeah, I think yeah. to put it succinctly, yes, I think that it was a better <laughs> answer than we were expecting. That's right. So yeah, good that's job right. on that. Um, uh, you did mention your your first musical, Drood. I'm uh, interested to hear kind of the inspiration behind that and how it came to play out the way it did. I know it's got um, alternate endings, and that that's kind of sounds really fascinating to me. I'd love to hear a little more about it. Well, you know, I had been 
I had just finished making my, I guess, eighth record album. And I'd been in the music business for about, let's say I was about 35, 36 at that time. So I'd been in the business for like, I got in the business when I was 19. I was arranging for Gene Pitney and the Drifters and the Platters when I was 19 years old. And, um, and so I'd, I'd been telling stories in a three-minute sto- uh, story form uh-huh. for so over, you know, for approaching 20 years. And I had, it wasn't that I'd run out of things to say, but I was kind of getting restless with the fact that any story I ever began as a pop song, I knew would have to be over in three minutes with a fade ending, sure. you know? Right. And, <laughs> and, and, uh, and there are some stories that just you can't tell in three minutes. You can tell by now that my answers I can't give in three <laughs> minutes. So, so you've you got a problem there. But um, uh, so I was thinking I, 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 that it would be wonderful to write something for a, a bigger platform uh, and, and a longer story arc. And I definitely wanted it to be for theater. I loved musical theater. I loved straight plays, too. I loved thrillers. I liked anything I saw on the Broadway stage. And um, and I, I was taking the train trip. I'd been working in the music business in L.A. for a while. And I was taking a train ride back from L.A. I love to travel by train because I'm terrified of flying. And, and it's also a very cool thing to do. Everyone should do it once in their life if they can. Because a lot of people think that the United States of America is five hours wide. Right. And it's not. It's a, it's a huge country. And the expanses that you see on a train are amazing. So I, I took along a book I had meant to read uh, as a boy uh, called The Mystery of Edwin Drew by Charles Dickens. And I started to read in L.A. And by the time I got to Chicago, I was done. And I thought, you know, this has the makings of a musical because its hero is a crazed choir master. He, he's madly in love with his beautiful music student. Uh, and he goes on these wild opium uh, uh, trips where um, he hears the music of the spheres. I said, this would really lend itself to a musical. But there's a problem to it, which is that Dickens, Charles Dickens, who wrote the novel, died before he finished it and no one has ever figured out what the ending is (laughs) and i struggled for a long time to think well then how would i have the audacity how would i dare (laughs) to say well here's what dickens didn't come up with and i'll be charles dickens (laughs) and then one day when i was as a a performer i know that audiences continually affect what you're doing on stage there they think sometimes they're the emotion they give you is like waves from the ocean and you surf it you you can feel the energy coming from the audience and and you go higher than you've ever gone before or sometimes they're a little stale and you have to work that much harder you they're always having an effect and i thought wouldn't it be the very height of theater to not have one ending for this but instead to give the audience the chance to vote on different key questions in the plot so that the uh, so that the musical has a, the capability of having a different ending every night. Wow. That's amazing. And when I laid this out, yeah, and I thought, well, that is theater. And as the actors go to perform the mystery of Edwin Drood, they don't even know if they're the killer. They don't know Jeez. if they're going to have the big scene at the end of the show. Oh, that's so good. And and Joe Papp, the legendary producer who produced the chorus line, said to me, "How? but how would you do that as I pitched this idea to him? I said, I think from my songwriting experience, I can write alternate lyrics for murderous confessions and lovers' songs and this and that so that all that any actor has to do is remember what they do if they are voted on question A or B or C 
And we could have like over, and this is an actual count, over 455 different combinations of endings for this Whoa. musical. Oh, my goodness. And we did it in Central Park, and it won the Tony Award for Best Musical, for Best Book of a Musical, which I wrote, and for Best Score of a Musical, which I also wrote. And uh, it was quite a way to start. But that's how it came about, from, from figuring out how do I finish an unfinished novel by Charles Dickens, and also have fun with it and have the audience get to be part of the excitement of them knowing that they will be responsible for the for the ending that they will see. And sometimes an audience uh, will say, gee, the show was a little long. I'll say, well, you voted on the wrong end. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's all your fault. You should have came last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you can see the mystery of Edwin Drood uh, nine nights in a row and see nine completely different That's murders awesome. for nine yeah. different uh, motives, and they're up to 37 combinations of lovers at the end. So wow. it's, it's 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 quite a fun show to put on. That's fascinating. I love that. Thank you. That's great. Um, moving to the song uh, "Escape," uh, the Pina Colada song. Um, yeah. I've heard a little bit. I caught the end of you telling a, a kind of a backstory of like the demo session for "Escape" and how it evolved into what it became. Can you tell our listeners about sort of the origin of the song, kind of start to finish, and then how it became? came came to be the song that we all know and love that's quite a it, if you don't mind it's a bit of a complicated story sure. but but i'll i'll do it for you and we I'll, have I'll very complicated you. listeners <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's good because this takes some twists and turns um i had um i had, i'd written a a, a, a kind of I was, about to do my fifth album, my fifth record album. I'd worked, I'd done albums with Streisand, and I'd had a couple of records that almost made it to the top 40, but I'd yet to have a, you know, a top 10 hit. Uh, I was lucky because record labels believed in what I was doing, and so did people like Barry Manilow and Dionne Warwick and Dolly Parton, who, and definitely Barbara Streisand, who recorded um, almost a, a dozen of my songs and arrangements. Wow. Wow. So, um, so so I was still making records. And on this fifth album, I, I was looking for something a little up-tempo because most of the songs on the album were medium or tempo or ballads. And I, I needed that up-tempo tune. And a couple of years earlier, I'd written a, a kind of jingle about the fact that every store on Fifth Avenue in New York City was a, an Italian designer store. And I wrote something like, Fiorucci, baby, with your new Gucci shoes. Poochie, poochie, baby, Gucci, jeez, Gucci, goose. Now, it, just, it was a kind of persistent little stupid song that went through my head. I never recorded it. It wasn't good enough to, to actually, you know, put down for posterity. But it kind of went through my head. And, and I, so I took the, that basic riff and started writing a song called People Need Other People. And um, I recorded the album I was doing, Partners in Crime, uh, uh, on the seventh floor of Radio City Music Hall in New York. On a st in a studio called Plaza Sound. And we got to do People Need Other People. And in those days, you do one take just to kind of let the engineer get the levels set. And then you come in, listen to it in the control room and say, oh, well, we're going to need the Tom Tom's mic a little closer and this, this and that. And I was the co-producer on the album, so that was going to happen. So we did one pass of the of the cut. And we that was the only song we were recording that day. And um, I went into the control room and listened and it was a little sloppy. And I said, well, I know we can do better than that. And I looked over at the couch, and one of the two drummers on the session had kind of passed out. He was asleep <laughs> or something. He, I've never to this day 
figured out exactly what it was, but he was no longer able to continue playing. Oh, my gosh. And we got a taxi for him, and he went home, and I said, well, I guess it's a bust. So now I have this need for an up-tempo song, and I have this track for, for this song called People Need Other People, but the track's sloppy. It's no good. So desperate to have this up-tempo number and kind of liking the general feel of it, I did something that at that time was absolutely unheard of, but is now quite standard amongst rappers. But remember, this is not the digital era. This had to be done analog with tape. It couldn't be done digitally. Sure. I, I found 16 bars of music in the track that we had done that were tight, that were good, that felt solid. And so myself and Jim Boyer, the engineer and, and co-producer of the album, we duped off to another two-track master those 16 bars over and over and over again and then jim with a razor blade and tape spliced together those 16 bars until we had a four minute loop wow. of just those 16 bars and that's now done a lot looping is a standard thing in rap sure. but you have you can do that digitally now yeah this was had to be done manually now i had a track that felt pretty good but i didn't have a song because there was no chord. So I had to write a new song to fit this tra track, and I knew that it would have to be a story song, because otherwise you'd notice the repetition of the, of the, of the feel. Sure. I had to have the narrative be what progressed the song forward. And I tried writing all kinds of lyrics. I wrote one that went, that's the law of the jungle in the school of the street. You get out of the kitchen if you can't take the heat. If you don't like the way he loves you, no one's making you stay. And it sounded a little like Warmed over Billy Joel is what I thought. And I said, no, that's no good. And I did, everyone needs a victim. I believe you will find if you could. And I kept trying and kept trying. And now it's the night before the last day that I have booked to record vocals. And I have to have a song. And I have to have a lyric to go with it. Right. And I'm sitting in my apartment and I'm looking at a newspaper. I love this pet tense I'm speaking. This is the future tentative. <laughs> uh, the past, no, the past present, participle. Anyway, I'm, I look at the newspaper. It's a, a paper called The Village Voice. And there are all these ads on the back page, personal ads, for people who are all saying, you know, I'm wonderful and attractive. And, <laughs> and I always think, if you're as wonderful as you say you are in the ad, why do you need to place an ad? Surely people are flocking to see it. So then I thought, all right, be fair. Um, maybe whoever's placing the ad is someone who's looking for the adventure and the mystery of meeting someone they don't know. Um, and then I try to, when I write songs, I usually take a what-if situation. And then I try to play it out to its logical conclusion of uh, casting myself um, in the lead role and thinking, well, what would happen to me if, if I tried living out this what-if scenario? Sure. <laughs> and I, I got the idea of how the story would end. And I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. That's like a trick ending like O. Henry used to write. Uh, o. Henry, the guy who wrote The Gift of the Magi. And, um, and so I, I wrote as my chorus the lines... If you like Humphrey Bogart okay. and getting caught in the rain, if you're not into yoga, if you have half a brain. I go to the studio, Plaza Sound, the next day. It's 10 a.m. And with me at the studio is my lead guitarist, Dean Bailey. And I'm worried about this trick ending in the story. I'm worried that, that, it, it he'll, that someone might guess it before 
I get to it, uh-huh. that, that it wouldn't be a surprise. So I said to the recording engineer, Eric Weiss, um, uh, I said to him, okay, so look, I'm going to sing this song straight through. First time I've ever, I haven't sung it yet. I've, I've, re- I've read the lyric, but I've never sung it. I'm going to sing it straight through. If I make a mistake, don't stop tape, keep rolling, because I want to see if Dean, my guitarist, gets guesses the ending before I get to the ending. <laughs> I tell Dean, Dean, you got to really listen carefully and tell me when it's done if you've got the ending ahead of where I uh, ahead of me because then I'll be very depressed but if I can <laughs> fool you if I can trick you it'll be good so um I sing it and just before we're going to before Eric's going to hit the record button I said Eric Weiss I think his name is Eric Block I'm sorry Eric Block um just before Eric was going to hit the record button I'm looking at the lyric on a music stand. I have never sung it before, guys. And um, I think, mm, if you like Humphrey Bogart, I've done so many movie references and I'm working with Streisand. I, wrote, I did an album called Widescreen. But Humphrey Bogart's kind of black and white, monochrome. And these people are looking for something colorful, something exciting. Mm. They, they want an escape, because that's what the song was called, Escape. Sure. I thought, um, so... They want, they want to be like they're on a tropical island. And when you go on vacation to the Caribbean, the first day you go down to the beach and you're going to have a cocktail, you would never order a Budweiser. <laughs> sure. You would never do that. You want to have a cocktail that announces you are officially on vacation. That's good. Yeah. You know, if you'd like it, if it's served in a hollowed-out pineapple, that's great, or a <laughs> coconut shell or a tiki thing. If it's got parasols, that's fine. If it's blue, great. That's terrific. It's got to have <laughs> an umbrella thought, in it somewhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You need that parasol on that first vacation drink. No, you, no, no shame about it. You want to say I'm on vacation. So, I thought, well, what are the what are the escape drinks? And I thought, well, um, let's see, mai tai, daiquiri. I knew there was a drink called a pina colada. I had never had any of them. I thought pina colada. I thought, well, if and this is all happening in the space of like one minute. Um, <laughs> I think if you like Humphrey Bogart, no. If you like pina coladas, I said, oh, that actually is better. That's got a better rhythm to it if I add that extra eighth note. And so you hit record. And what you're hearing when you hear that record is the absolute very first time those what? words, those that, notes ever came out of my mouth. That is awesome. That's and, be, and, be, and factor this in. Because I had never sung it before and never had a chance to really analyze it, I kept hitting some words where the words weren't going to fit in the space allotted. And I had to do what a jazz singer would do, which is sort of scat it a little bit, scat sing it, so that I'm going, I've got to meet you by tomorrow noon. Yeah. When I sing that, that's because I've got to get that into a space <laughs> that won't house that. And that's when I go, I am into champagne, I'm trying to stretch the words to oh, fit it. That's so, so what great. you're hearing is a very, very spontaneous, first time ever vocal, and it had all the enthusiasm of me telling a joke to my guitar player, <laughs> you know, yeah. the, like the first time you've ever told a joke. I got to tell you this joke. Listen, <laughs> it's too big, right? That kind of uh, attitude. And um, and I went into the control room, 
and said to Dean, well, did you get it? He said, I did not get it. He said, I, did. I said, that's great. I said, don't worry. That was a sloppy vocal. I'll, I'll do the right one later in the day. Okay, I'll come back and do the correct vocal. But I never did because when I went back to try to get it more polished, it didn't have that energy and excitement that I had singing it the very first time. And the most interesting thing to me uh, on analysis looking back is we did have also a instrumental break after every chorus. And right. we, all we had was track. All we had was basic track. So we had to fill it. Now, if I had not, if I had said, if you like Humphrey Bogart, then I would have probably tried to put in a sax or something that sounded like a 40s noir movie. Sure. But I said Pina Colada evoking escape, the islands, a vacation, the tropics. So what we laid in that afternoon was very escapist. It was I, I came up with some surf noise um, on, on, my, on a, a very primitive synthesizer that they had in those days. I added some light flutes. I had Dean play kind of a Hawaiian slide guitar at one point. And and the and the lead line that we came up with in that moment, the da 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 is played very, very kind of dreamy travel. So that you go on a little um, eight bar vacation <laughs> three times, three times in the record. And when the record came out, and you did ask this question long ago, if you can remember a time in your life when you did pose this question to me. Um you asked me uh, how it became the Pina Colada song. Well, I called the song Escape, and that was the song. And the record came out, by the way, and the label said Escape. And the promotion men for the label came to me and said, we have a terrible problem. I said, what is it? They said, well, you call the song Escape, but people are, are loving a song, but they're going to the record store and asking, and they're calling the radio stations, and they're saying, I want the song about the Pina Coladas. Right. Because Pina Colada is the only phrase other than the word escape, that is repeated in the song. That's what was sticking in people's memory. Mm. They said, I, they said, we've got to do something. I said, what do you want to do? They said, can we just change the label so it says escape, parenthesis, the Pina Colada song, close parenthesis. And I, I, I said, I mean, I joke about it, but I, you know, I said, compromise my artistic integrity. <laughs> and they said, they, they said, yeah, but if we don't do this, it's, it's not going to be the hit that it's, it seems like it's going to be. Right. And uh, I said, okay. And to this day now, you know, there's a ton of people who don't know that the song is called Escape. They just refer to it as, as either Pina Colada or the Pina Colada song. Yeah. Well, we're also glad you begrudgingly allowed the parenthesis. Yeah, so absolutely. That millions more ears would have heard it. Uh, one thing production-wise on this song, you had two drummers, right? With Steve Jordan and Leo Adamanian, you had two drummers. How? Uh, yeah. How involved were you on that? And like the double drum effect, was that a your call? Was that a was that a Ted Jensen call from Sterling Sound? Because I know he mastered this and he's brown. Who's who made the call on on the two drummer thing? That was brilliant. Okay, well, Leo Adamian was the drummer on the album, and he was brilliant on the album. Uh, he's also the drummer on the follow up hit, uh, him. Him. Yep. Uh, and, and that's got a great drum feel to it. And he, he, some, some people sell the album, the, the album Partners in Crime. I see it sold a lot on eBay just for the drum drops that you can get out of it. Uh -huh. Because there are a lot of, there are a lot of, uh, a number of the intros to a number of the songs on Partners in Crime uh, feature just solo drums for eight bars. And then the bass comes in. I just loved some of the riffs and the feels. They were all kind of like upside down reggae's and all kinds of really good drum feel, feels that Leo came up with. On this one track, Leo said, you, I got to have a second drummer on this cut. 
He said, because I, I got to free up my hands to be able to play some around the drums. He said, it's a really unique feel that you've got here. This kind of sort of like the Magnificent Seven riff. Like, dum, 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 dum. <laughs> oh, like, my goodness. Uh, he said, so he said, he said, you've got to get me a second drummer who can just lay down the, the basic stuff so that I can ornament it a little. Well, he got in Steve Jordan, who I knew at that time was the uh, drummer on the daytime David Letterman show. Oh. Will Lee, who I worked with a lot, was on, was the bass player then, as he was on the CBS show. But at, at that time, David Letterman had an afternoon show, and, and Steve was a great drummer. Uh, but unfortunately, and I don't mean to blow his cover here, but Steve was the one. Steve really is responsible for the record being, <laughs> being made the way it was, way it was oh, because wow. he's the guy. He's the guy who didn't couldn't do. It was had to go home and he's the guy that passed take. out. Steve oh, Jordan, the guy. yeah, oh, my yeah. Goodness. I mean, that's awesome. I'm not, not, he may have been sick. I, we never, I never figured out what was the matter. And to this day, I don't think he probably has no idea he's the what, the co drummer on the record because he never heard what I did to change it. Wow, and oh, man, and, he, and and so I'm I've been wanting to run into Steve Jordan for years <laughs> now and say, I don't know if you know it, but you were the co drummer on uh, a number one. A number one record, and you probably have no recollection of it. Well, we'll just send so, him this and so be like, skim ahead to this part of the interview. We got a surprise for you, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's wow, cool. that's fantastic. Yep. That is yep. out- outstanding. Uh, so uh, this song has has lived many lives and had many placements. Of course, it's, it's sort of ubiquitous in TV and movie placement and advertising as well. Uh, one of my personal favorites is from the Norm Macdonald comedy Dirty Work, um, mm-hmm. where it's it's in it's in such a funny spot in the movie, and it's and it's it's just kind of alone by itself, you know, as the playing playing over a scene. What, what's the right. difference? What's the difference in having a song place in a in a relatively under the radar film like that one versus something like massive like Guardians of the Galaxy? And my, my favorite is in Mars Attacks when it's behind Jack <laughs> Nicholas with the big hat scene, the big blue hat. So that's, yeah, yeah, those are yeah. my favorites. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm actually very fond of. Uh, it's been cropping up in some great places these days. Uh, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Did a whole yeah. riff on it. Uh, Better Call Saul. Yeah, the Bob, TV series. Yeah, Bob Odenkirk. The, he sings it on there. That's so. He cool. sings it and claims that I that you went to that high went school to school in Albuquerque. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I know. It's, <laughs> that's great that's quite a trip. Um, I loved it in Grown Ups. Um, I love oh, that yeah. Will Ferrell did a whole production number with it in Bewitched. It was a, a plot point on the TV show Las Vegas. Yep. Every time <laughs> the deck was rich with, um, I kept hearing the song in the background over and over again. I thought, gee, did they only get it for like, did they only have one song and they just decided to <laughs> spread it thin over the episode? And it turned out that it was a plot point that um, someone was counting cards from a distance, and when the deck, the blackjack deck, was loaded with face cards, which makes a win um, easier, uh-huh. um, someone would signal to a player by playing the pina colada song in the coffee shop. Wow! And That's cool. and they grabbed the guy and they grilled him, and they said, "Why were you playing the pina colada song?" He said, <laughs> "Hey." The Pina Colada song is my favorite song in the world. And I thought to myself, watching this, that's the kind of TV we need more of. We need more dialogue like that. Yeah, we, we need more people saying stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, have, you, have you heard the song Hymn? That is also a great song. 
<laughs> yeah, we get, we got to push that more. Um, yeah, uh, well, the difference is there's a couple of differences. One is when you have it in something like Guardians of the Galaxy or uh, Grown Ups, or recently was in the Deadpool Two. Um, whenever you have it, um, um, whenever it's in in a movie that big, then suddenly. Uh, you know, another generation, another round of kids, you know, I, I just, I'm always amazed when I will, for example, give some theater awards away at a, like for high schools or something, and I'll be in front of a high school audience or a junior high school audience, or I'll visit a school that's doing one of my musicals, and um, and they'll all basically say, yeah, but fine, but would you sing the Pina Colada song? And I look at them, and they're, you know, they're 16 years old and that was a hit 40 years ago so it's an amazing feeling when uh to to realize that something you did literally 40 years ago um is is still sort of in the public knowledge it's yeah. a very gratifying feeling and uh and and i certainly i never quite expected it to hang in so long you know yeah, uh, Mike. So my kids are all fourteen and younger. Uh, but when I told them that we were going to get to talk to you today, they were so excited because literally, like it's exactly like you said, this song has uh, lived, you know, lived on in pop culture to such a degree that they love this song just as much as you know somebody in you know in the early eighties loved it. Somebody, yeah. you know what I mean? So uh, I think I, I I suspect from from the statements I get and just from the emails I get. I actually feel like the song is better known today than it was. I'm not going to say better known today than it was 40 years ago when it was number one, but I think it's better known now than it was maybe 20 years ago. Yeah. It's sort of come back in an, in another wave, and um, it's even in it was in the movie Shrek. It right. was dialogue in the General's Daughter. John Travolta says. You know, if you like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain, I may have to marry you, ma'am. And I thought, <laughs> I think that constitutes a usage. I believe I think so, need, yeah. I think they need to pay me for that. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It's had also, same... I must say that when you're in a blockbuster movie like um, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, in an era where CDs are no longer selling, that sold, I think, 4 million, 5 million CDs. Wow. So, so having that presence on the album is is uh, a blessing. It really is. That is huge. Uh, you've done so many different kinds of not only musical, uh, you know, uh, as in, as in commercial music, but, but also Broadway and writing and so many different kinds of artistic presentations. What keeps the storyteller's wheels turning for such a long and successful career? And what's the catalyst for turning an idea into a song or an album versus a play or a TV series or something else? Well, um, as far as the storyteller's wheel, um, just people do that to me. Uh, watching people, um, seeing people at, at bus terminals or airports and wondering, seeing a couple that doesn't seem to be a logical couple and wondering what makes them tick. And seeing people do kind things, seeing people hurt, seeing people um, j just as long as they're human beings living these intricate and painful lives that we live, um, I'll never run out of ideas for, for songs or stories or novels. I, you know, I've written two novels. My first novel was made into a movie with Colin Firth and Kevin Bacon. And, uh, and again, it's uh, uh, based on seeing people and spinning out a what-if scenario about, like, what if someone like that found themselves in 
this situation. I wrote 56 episodes of a TV series called Remember When for AMC. And all I ever had to do was know my characters well and think, okay, if I throw this into their universe, how are they all going to react? And suddenly, I know I'm doing well as a novelist, as a screenwriter, uh, as a songwriter, as a person who writes musicals and plays. Uh, I know I'm doing well when I feel like the characters are dictating the dialogue and I'm just a stenographer taking it down. Mm, um, I, I will, there are times where someone in a play I'm writing will make a joke and I'll laugh when I write, I'll be typing and I'll, they'll say the joke as I'm typing. And I say, Oh, that's funny. They, and as if they came up with it, not, not me. So, uh, so what really varies though, is who your audience is. When you write a novel, you're really writing for an audience of one. I'm writing. I'm in the middle of uh, of writing my third novel right now uh, for Simon and Schuster, and I'm very aware that I'm writing it for one reader. Now I don't know who that reader will be, and hopefully there will be more than one reader. But <laughs> you're nice. only writing for one reader at a time, and so it's a very personal, intimate conversation. It's like a friend. I'm having a cup of coffee with a friend, they, they turn to me and they say, "You're not going to believe what just happened." <laughs> I don't, you know. So it's if you ever saw a person on a plane reading a novel and they went and they laughed the way an audience laughs at something funny in a show, you'd be frightened of that person. It's so true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In other words, so when you write, when I write for Broadway, uh, especially if I'm writing comedy, I've got to find humor that will appeal to one thousand strangers who mm -hmm. don't. Who, who have no rela prior relationship and they've all assembled in this theater. And I've got to find a joke and a character who will amuse them no matter what part of the country they came from. And that's a very different. Uh, and if I write a TV show, I've got to write for an audience of 2 million. If I write uh, a, a pop song that I think, or a cabaret song that's going to be sung in a nightclub, I just have to reach maybe 80 people. And um, and if I'm writing a novel, I'm writing for, for one. So it, it changes the nature of what you write. Um, uh, because in a novel, the humor should make a, the reader kind of go like, hmm, you know, yeah. <laughs> As opposed to, because if someone really read a novel on an airplane, he went, ha, 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 Flight attendant, could you just, yeah, I right, think we got a problem enough. here. But meanwhile, in a, in, a, in a Broadway theater, you want them rolling in the aisles. Sure. So, so it's it's a different dynamic. Well, I can I know that you'll continue to bring it because you've you surrounded even the Partners in Crime album with different types of albums that were both good. Like the Full Circle album came after Partners in Crime, and the Pursuit of Happiness was before it. Those are different types of albums around partners in crime is uh so i know that you'll continue to adapt and do things that are different variety uh, variety yeah. that being said do you have a favorite adaptation of one of your one of your songs that somebody has done is there one that you're like they nailed that well yeah i mean first of all you have to try to imagine um what it's like for a songwriter a young songwriter to have a song and Barbara Streisand is standing with you next to the piano and she starts to sing your song. And the moment <laughs> it comes out of her throat, it's, it's Barbara Streisand. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not just that it's your song. It's that, that voice that you've heard that has made so many songs astounding and, and brought life to them and drama and, and 
heartbreak. Suddenly, she's singing your words, and suddenly you never sounded so good in your life, <laughs> you know, and 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 lending it all that. So so I wrote a number of the songs in the movie A Star Is Born, yeah, not the, the not the recent one, but right. the one from the seventies with, with her and Chris and Christopherson. She, she, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she sang a song in that called Everything. That's just a dream for me. Yeah. She recorded another song that I wrote for the movie, but the scene was cut from the movie. She still went ahead and recorded it called uh, Lullaby for Myself, which is just beautiful and she told a song that was drawn from my experiences in high school with a romance that went badly called letters the cross in the mail and she she did a rendition of that that's astounding i'm also very fond dolly Parton recorded one of my songs it's hard to find if your listeners uh, go to youtube you can look up dolly Parton and the song i knew you when it was on a one of her rca albums and and i thought she just did it Perfectly, because it was written again about about something that happened in high school to me, and and she, even though she was an adult when she sang it, she sounds that vulnerable. Mm. Barry Manlow's recorded one of my songs twice now, called Studio Musician, mm. and that's because we, I think we both shared the struggle of being a working musician in New York, trying to get our our voice heard, and uh, having having to play other people's music, and I think that touched something in him. And uh, Dionne Warwick did a song of mine called Who, What, When, Where, Why, um, uh, produced by Barry Manilow. Uh, and Dionne Warwick, the first 45 I ever bought, other than a Beatles 45, was Walk On By, by Dionne Warwick. So there's something about, there's always a, this wonderful sense of fulfillment when it came someone you... It full circle, to use yeah, your quote. absolutely. Absolutely. I got to meet Paul McCartney once. And he said to me, oh, I'm he said, oh, I'm a big fan of your work. And That's I said, awesome. yeah, right. Yeah, right. And then I thought, oh, my God, my first words from Paul McCartney were, yeah, yeah right. right. <laughs> but, but, but Linda McCartney, his then wife, was there. And she said, no, no, we really listened. And she named a couple of the songs from my albums, which made me think that wow. he wasn't lying. That's validation. <laughs> that, can you imagine for, for a guy who at age 16 thought, all I ever want to be would be a fifth Beatle. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. fill. I'll I'll learn You'll to play, play drums. Keys. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's well, there is one. Yeah. There is one question. Thank you so much for your time, Rupert. We appreciate you giving a large portion of your day. Thank you so much. There's one question we ask everybody before we will let you go. So you're on tour. You're uh, on the road. You go into a gas station. What is your gas station snack food of choice? And I'll give you mine while you're thinking on yours. Um, I get a Three Musketeers bar. Um, when I was growing up, my mom said you could have any candy bar you want, and I would pick a Three Musketeers just because it's the most ounces for the same amount of money. So that's, <laughs> absolutely, that's my. So what is your uh, what is your snack food? Well, you know, I'm candy? I'm I don't I don't know if uh, maybe uh, Mars is underwriting your podcast, but. Uh, <laughs> no. um, but but I, I I'm first of all I really relate to what you just said because um, uh, when I was growing up for a nickel uh, a, Mar a, a three musketeers bar was a serious big bang for your buck yeah there you go <laughs> and, and and I don't know if you'll you probably won't know this but when I was growing up a three musketeers bar had two ridges in it 
uh, across the, uh, uh, not horizontal, vertically, okay. two vertical ridges so that you could break it into three pieces oh. and share oh. it with two friends. No, yeah, Thus, the name Three, three Musketeers. Musketeers. Oh, my goodness. Wow. We have told this. We've interviewed tons and tons of people, and I use the same thing every time. And you just gave me a history yeah. lesson that I did Absolutely. not know. You go, you go look that up, and you'll find it's true. It, it, it stopped, I think maybe in the late 50s or early 60s. But the idea was that it was such a big bar for only a nickel <laughs> that, that you could amazing. have two buddies share it with you. Oh, yeah, my goodness. Yeah. You just got us our, our sponsorship. <laughs> the, reason, the reason it was such a big bar is because there wasn't a whole heck of a lot in it. It's fluff. It was, That's right. it was just it was nougat yeah. and milk chocolate. Uh, my, if, you, if you're dying to know what my, what my vending machine snack would be, um, yeah, uh, it, it's, I have a couple of these. If it's a candy bar, I'm usually, if they have it, I'm going to go for a payday candy bar. Have you ever oh, heard of yeah. a payday Absolutely. candy bar? Absolutely. Love Absolutely. Those. Yeah. And the reason I, I like it is it's the margarita of candy, meaning this, <laughs> that it's the on the outside, the peanuts are on the outside with the salt on them. Right. Yep. So you have to access this, this sweet caramel interior of the bar via the salty peanuts so it's kind of like salting a margarita it's going to be sweet but you have to go through the salt to get it you have to really sort of earn your earn your right for it you got to work it's for a young, it that's good it's a delicious bar it's got a lot of energy and peanuts in it um in when i was in college i had absolutely no money whatsoever i mean literally no money and and on sundays the cafeteria would not serve dinner and um, I would, the only way I could get a meal on Sunday night was to um, reach under the vending machine, the candy vending machine, and find somehow, hopefully, two nickels or a dime and use that to get a planter's cheese peanut butter uh, cracker package, oh, wow. you know, with six, six, six cheese and peanut butter, yeah. right? And then to stretch it, I would separate them. I would lick the peanut butter off each individually <laughs> and then eat the crackers slowly because that was going to have to sustain me for the whole night. Wow. So anytime I'm not in the mood for a candy bar, I'll buy one of those planters peanut butter cheese things because I can now enjoy the luxury. I, I'm wealthy enough <laughs> to buy them flat out and just you eat can them. Eat them the way they were I don't intended. have to separate them. I, I can, if I want, I might even buy a second package of them. That's yeah. amazing. That's, so that's that's my gas station candy. Oh, that's a treat. great answer. Rupert, yeah. you're a smart guy. Great yeah. stories. Wonderful communicator. This has been so enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. Thank blast. you so much. We hope you had a good time hanging out with us. You are, You've been I, a joy. I had a great time. You know, you guys know your stuff. I'm amazed you knew Ted Jensen. That's really erudite on your part. And uh, and great questions and thanks for them. You got me thinking. Hey, no, no problem. Thanks. Yeah, we can we can talk about Ted Jensen and other things anytime you want. You give us a give <laughs> okay. Us a, a, a All right. Table. This has been great. Thank yeah. you so much, Rupert. Pleasures. Stay Have well. Thank you. You too. Podcast. That, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my goodness. Was Rupert Holmes? That was so much fun. Brilliant. Just, we weren't ready for that level of genius to come <laughs> come from this guy, you know? I thought it'd be like, yeah, you know, I wrote the song, and it was funny, and it kind of made me laugh, and it was a hit. Ta-da! But, no, he's like, no, I'm smarter than everyone you've ever met combined, and I turn it into creative genius. Is that him just be like, I really like to drink? Yeah. Or like that. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. this guy's an alcoholic. Love rum, what can I say? <laughs> 
We hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. We were fascinated. Look, we should just have him see if we can have him back sometime to just talk to him about some more. anything. Yeah, let's just get him to talk about the state of the world yeah, and just see what happens. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's probably got solutions for world problems that he's sitting on. It just has the moment of inspiration just hasn't come yet. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah, thank you, Rupert, so much for your time. That was that was incredible. Um, we'll be back another next. No. <laughs> Another next. <laughs> uh, hang on. We got more great stuff as season six rolls along. Uh, find us on Twitter and Instagram at Great Song Pod. Join the Facebook group. We're doing giveaways and games and all kinds of stuff this season. Uh, so uh, if you're playing bingo, let us know. You know what I mean? If you if you find if we got a bingo on this episode, let us know. Um, but uh, yeah, find us at facebook.com slash groups slash Great Song Pod. Or you can just search for the group name. It's Great Songs and the Great People Who Love Them Greatly. That's you. Uh, until then, no, we'll be back next week with another great song. Until then, I'm Rob. I am JP. Go listen to some music.